0: The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church contact. All right, we're starting a new series today called Beginnings. Uh, Samantha already mentioned it a little earlier, but uh, this is the first time since we started our church I've ever preached through Genesis chapter 1. How about that? It's the beginning. We should have started there when we started the church, right? But we didn't. So. And so uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I was pretty excited last night. I was up pretty late. Stephanie doesn't like that, but I was up pretty late just kind of like thinking, praying, printing, uh, typing, doing some stuff last minute. And so uh, I'm pretty excited about this series, though. I think it'll be good for us to go through it and kind of set some of the records straight and um, lay out some of the facts from God's word. And so I brought something to help me out today. I don't, what do they call this stuff? Connects or something like that? Kinex. Uh, 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 Opie told me before, was that Opie or Kenny? Told me before church, this was like cheap, like knockoff Legos. I don't know if that's true. It was pretty expensive, I think. But it even moves. It did until Lee touched it. But this is like a, a Ferris wheel I don't know. It sounds like it's going to blow up. It goes either way, Carson. See that? It used to, at least, before we transported it to church from our house. Got it? I won't leave that on the whole time, because then if you're listening online, you'll hear like this hum in the microphone from that, but you you get the concept, right? I don't know. My daughter is not going to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) However, I can blame Lee for it, so I should be in the clear. I should be in the clear on this thing, so it's like stuck. I don't know, but I'm going to turn it off, and I'm just going to ask you to use your imagination. Is that okay? You can see it, but imagine it's just spinning. It's usually quieter than that before Lee broke it. But um, okay, so just, oh, he's so, he's so sensitive, Noah. So just imagine you walked into the room today, and none of us were here, and there were no chairs set up. There was no food at the back. There was no lights or sound equipment, nobody in the whole building, in fact. And right at center court on the basketball court was sitting that Ferris wheel, and it was spinning slowly and steady without much noise, right? Imagine you saw that, and it just kept going. And then you looked at it, and some other people came in after you, and they said, where'd that come from? And you said, I think it just appeared. Out of nowhere. Nobody would believe you, right? I mean, anybody that saw that Ferris wheel sitting on center court when they walked into this room, whether there were people here or not, would make an assumption about the Ferris wheel, right? They would make the assumption that somebody built that, stuck it there, and turned it on, right? In fact, if you concluded that nobody did that, that it just happened randomly out of thin air, people would probably think you were a little nuts, right? But that is exactly the debate that's going on in our world for the last about 100 to 150 years over who created everything around us. The the prominent thought in our world today is that all the stuff you see just spontaneously happened. Nobody made it. Nobody created it. It just came out of primordial soup or stardust or some bang. What banged? You ask them, and they don't even know. Just something banged. Cosmic dust or gases or where'd those come from? I'm not sure, but it banged. And then, bam, all the stuff we have is in front of us. And you look around at all of it, and you're a Christian. And you say like, man, God created all that stuff. And they look at you like you're crazy. But if anything else in life happened that way, it'd be the opposite. You would never roll up on a house and think, man, that house looks good. I think it just happened. You would always conclude somebody built it. You would never see a baby and think it didn't have parents. You would never see anything that was made and think that it just spontaneously appeared. And yet that's the argument. That's the debate. That's why teaching through Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 is so important for our church. Because it's not just the world that believes that. The church by and large has bought into this. They've tried to take all the world's scientific thinking and cram it into God's word, make it all fit together. And sometimes it just doesn't. But I got news for you. The world doesn't really care about God's plan. They don't want you to believe that God created the earth or the universe. They don't want you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They want to tell you about all the things that are impossible instead of talking about all the things that God can do. They want to deny there even is a God. And so this is the debate we're in. If you have a Bible, look with me. Genesis chapter 1. I' just going to read the first like two-plus verses with you right now. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse one. This is how God starts off his direct revelation, or his direct words to us. He says, "In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, and then God said. So just use your imagination for a second. I know this is hard to see because some of us are pretty old, but we weren't around when this happened, okay? And so just use your imagination for a second. God speaks and something happens. There was no world. There was no universe. There was no heavens. And that God created it all in the beginning. And it's like this, I don't know, kind of blob of water. And God's spirit is hovering over the surface of this blob of water. Darkness, formless, empty. That's it. That's all there was. This is the beginning. I want to just real quick in this short passage... Just point out three things that stuck out to me that I think are super critical for those who say they're Christians and love Jesus to buy into, believe, and see in the text. If you're here today and you're like, I'm an atheist, or I'm not sure if there's a God, or I don't believe in all this creation stuff, just hang with me for a second. We'll kind of talk to you a little bit later, but we got a lot of different people in our group. That's just the reality of our church. And so I know there's some people here that love Jesus and are trying to follow him. I know there's some people here that just aren't really sure about all of it. And I know there's some people here like anti-God, and they're not even sure if there is a God. And that's okay. You're in the right spot, whichever of those groups you're in. But it's hard to talk to all of them at once. So let me just kind of break it down for you. So if you're here and you're one of the kind of Christian folks that love Jesus and want to follow him, let me just point out a few things from this text that are important for us to buy into. Here's the first one. You can just underline them or make a note of them if you're a note taker. But he starts the whole passage off by saying in the beginning. And that seems like something everybody would know or like a simple phrase. It doesn't really mean much. And yet, almost all of the non-Christian scientific thought about creation would tell you this can't be the beginning. If this isn't the beginning, then what is it? If this isn't the beginning, then God used the wrong words. Or he lied. Or maybe at best, his revelation is incomplete. And that's kind of a damning thing if you're a Christian. Because if you can't trust the very first three words and what God gave us, how can I trust any of the rest of it? If God lied to me with the very first line, if this isn't the beginning... If there was billions of years and stuff that happened before any of this, then why did he say that? If this isn't the beginning, then what is it? And why did he say those three words? In the beginning. You look through the Bible. We don't have time to teach through the whole Bible today, obviously, but if you look through the Bible, there is about 6,100 years of recorded history in the Bible. We get the a length of life from all these people that live from Adam up until Abraham and Abraham to Moses and Moses through King David and King David up to Jesus. And we know when Jesus was executed and rose from the dead. And so we know how many years that's been. There's about 6,100 years so far of recorded history in God's word. And there's a thought out there that says like, well, the earth and the universe are 6,100 years old. And there's a thought out there that says, like, well, the earth and the universe have to be millions or billions of years old. And I'm just saying, if the earth is millions or billions of years old, then how can that be true? How can this have been the beginning? I think that's important. I think it's important when I'm teaching my kids at home for them to think that every single word that God gave us can be trusted. Not just the ones that the world agrees with, but all of them. This is the beginning, the beginning of time and space. And then the second phrase, it's going to come up over and over God created. God created. That's important because God didn't acquire, He didn't piece together, He didn't assemble. He created in Romans chapter four, verse 17. You can look it up on your own sometime. I won't have that on the screen, but Romans chapter four, verse 17, several verses in Psalms, you get this reference to God creating everything at the beginning. And if you go to like the Latin Vulgate, that was the first translation of the Roman Empire when they translated the Greek and Hebrew text into Latin. That was the translation that got used all up until like the King James Version was written basically. And the King James version was translated off of the Latin translation. And so you got the Latin translation of the scriptures, and they use this word, creatio ex nihilio. It means created out of nothing. And that's the word that you'll see in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, that God created everything that was created out of nothing. He's the only being that can do that. You've never done that, and you've never known anybody else who's ever created a single thing out of nothing. It's a unique God-only characteristic that God created. He didn't assemble. He didn't just give us the instructions and tell us to piece it together. He didn't just find a bunch of dust laying around and morph it into human beings or planets or stars. No, he made everything that was made out of nothing. I think that's important. I think it's important for us to not cheapen what God did in creation. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, to not think that God just kinda took what was already there and figured out a better way to put it together, but instead he created us and everything around us out of nothing. Here's the third phrase I want you to kind of underline. It comes up at the very beginning of verse 3. And then it comes up, um, I think, seven times in these 25 verses we're going to look at today. Seven or eight, I can't remember now. Seven, I think. But the very beginning of chapter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Then God said, and we're going to see this over and over. I'm going to read you the passage in just a second. You'll see this phrase come up over and over. Then God said, but this is how God created. You've also never known anybody that can do this. God speaks and life happens. God speaks and stuff comes into existence. That's how powerful God is. He he doesn't have to build it with his hands, he just has to say the word and things happen. And you know why that's so important? Because every single promise that God ever gave us, he gave it to us in words. And I need to know that every single word he speaks is so powerful that it will come to pass. There's no doubt about it. And I don't care what a doctor tells me or a teacher tells me or my mom and dad tell me. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. When God speaks, everything obeys. Everything comes to pass that he says. This is how he created This is how he created. It's different than anything we can do. You can't compare the creation account in Genesis 1 to anything you've ever seen or experienced because God did it all out of nothing. And he did it all in the beginning before there was any time or space or matter. And he did it by just speaking words. You need to know how great our God is. He can't be shrunk down to this tiny little thing we talk about on Sunday mornings. He's this magnificent, humongous being that is so far beyond anything we could think or imagine. He creates out of nothing when there is no time and is no space. He does it all with just a word. That's God. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, I believe that stuff. That kind of makes sense to me. I want to just read you some of the passages in the Bible that talk about it. There are dozens and dozens we could go to. We're not going to do that. But I just want you to hear these ideas over and over again that we just shared. Can you be on the lookout for them? That God created everything, that He did it in the beginning, and that He did it with just some words? It's not just something that shows up in Genesis 1 1 to 3. You can't just rip that chapter of your Bible out and think this isn't taught anywhere else. Let me just read you some of the stuff the Bible says. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It says, In the beginning, there's that phrase, right? In the beginning, the word already existed. Now, hang with me for a second. You have to look this up on your own, but if you look down in John chapter 1, and like verses, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but we get told that the word is Jesus. The word is the Messiah, the Christ that has come. John said it would be the Messiah coming after him, and he identified him as Jesus. And we're told in John, I think it's 1.14, that Jesus is the word we're speaking about in this chapter. So when it says the word, it's talking about Jesus. You can check that out on your own sometime if you want, but let me read the rest of it to you. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the word or the Messiah or the Christ or Jesus already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It's interesting that he calls himself the Word. That John calls Jesus the Word here. Isn't that interesting? Because that's the way God created back in Genesis 1, isn't it? Let's keep reading it. He existed in the beginning with God. Verse 3. God created, there's that phrase again. God created everything through him. Through who? Through the Word through the Messiah, through Jesus. And nothing was created except through him. Nothing. Sounds like my Ferris wheel's going again. <laughs> in verse four, the word gave life to everything that was created. That's fascinating. It's hard sometimes to piece those things together when they show up in such opposite ends of the Bible. But here in Genesis chapter 1, you see the creation takes place through the speaking of words. And here you get to the New Testament in John 1. We find out that Jesus is the word. And that everything that was created was created through Jesus, the word. That's power. Try it sometime. Try just saying something and see if it will appear. And then maybe you'll realize how much stronger God is than you are. How much bigger he is than us. That's important to remember. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says this. Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, through who? Through Christ, through Jesus, God created everything. There's that phrase again. In the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see. You see these concepts over and over again. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. Not with his hammer or his backhoe, but with his words. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen out of nothing. Psalm chapter 33, verses 8 and 9 says, Let the whole world fear, respect, honor the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him, for when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. You see it? It's all throughout the word of God. If you're a Christian, the evidence in God's revelation to us is everywhere. You can see it over and over again. And in this series, what I want you to get for five weeks is I want you to see the glory of God. I want you to see God for what he really is. I don't want him to get cheapened. I don't want you to see some distorted image of him. I want you to see the greatest, most powerful, most grace filled, always truthful, reliable, good, true and beautiful God of the universe. I want you to stand in awe of him like the psalmist wrote. I want you to have fear and respect and reverence for his power. I want you to stand before him and just be floored and wowed by how big he is, how mighty Is, how honest he is. And really, that's the battle that's going on in our world. That every gift that comes from God is good. That God is goodness and truth and beauty. And the world is on a non stop mission to destroy everything that God says is good, true, and beautiful. That's the fight we're in. That's the battle that's going on. But I want you to see that glory. If you're here today and you're an atheist or you're an agnostic or you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you believe there is a God or you you have doubts about the whole thing, I want you to see it too. I hope you'll join us for five weeks and just give me the chance to show you God's glory. And maybe you'll disagree and walk away. But maybe it'll be something completely new and you'll embrace it. Imagine being a scientist and saying I won't even entertain new information. At that point, you cease to be a scientist and you start following a religion instead. And so I'm just asking everybody with open eyes and open ears to consider the evidence we're going to put before you in this series, to see God's greatness and his glory on display, to be amazed at his power and his creativity and his awesome plan. I want you to see it and hear it and embrace it. All the good things and beautiful things and true things about God. Maybe you're sitting there already and you're thinking, aren't you making too big of a deal out of this? Like it's just a story, right? It's just the creation story. I mean, it isn't, does it really matter? That's a good question. It matters to the other side. I can tell you that. It matters to the uh, atheistic, evolutionary, psycho, crazy professors out there teaching our kids in universities today. It matters to all of the uh, uh, world scientists and they proclaim their theories as if they're hard and stone facts. They're willing to die for them almost. It matters to them. Why can't it matter to me? Why can't it matter to us? You think, oh, you're, you're just exaggerating. You're making too much of it. I want to play for you a clip of a professor from Arizona State University it's just 20 or 30 seconds. I want you to pay attention to the clip. But beyond that, I'd like for you to pay attention to the class's response to what he says. And you tell me if this is just a story or if it's a religion. You ready? See if we can get it to play. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. Physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? And and anyway. Yeah, forget about Jesus. You're here because of the stars because they decided to explode and give you life. Does that matter? Is that a religion or science? How does that guy know a star exploded to give you life? He has no more evidence for that than I have for a creator. The only difference is, I'm looking at the Ferris wheel in the room thinking, random? Chance? Had to be a maker. You think, ah, you're just making too much of it. That guy was just joking around for effect with his class, right? He was just trying to make a point and, and and kind of be funny about it, right? Let me read you a quote. I looked this guy up after I watched that video clip. I looked him up and I found this quote from him. Listen to what he said. Change is always one generation away. So if we can plant seeds of doubt in our children, religion will go away in a generation, or at least largely go away, and that's what I think we have an obligation to do. Just a story? Or is it a battle? That's his religion, man. He thinks that. He believes it in his heart. He believes you're stardust. I read a study this week that won't really, the beginning of it won't really surprise anybody in the room that's been in church a long time or grew up in church. Or, But I read this study this week that said that 67% of kids who grow up active in church, active in church. As soon as they get out of mom and dad's house, we'll leave the church and never come back. 67% of them. Now that's mind boggling, but I've heard that a lot in my life in the last few decades. But I went on and read the rest of the study and it dug deeper. It, it interviewed a 1,000 kids who had grown up and were now in their 20s and 30s who grew up active in churches but then disavowed mom and dad's faith and never went back to church after that. It interviewed those kids as adults now, 20 and 30 year olds, and tried to find out why. Why did you leave? And the first question it asked them, I made a few kind of rudimentary bar graphs, not really my skill set, but I made a few rudimentary bar graphs to show you these responses. But they interviewed these kids and they asked them this question first. They said, if you don't believe in Christianity anymore, if you've abandoned Christianity or the church, when was it that you first started to have doubts? Because you grew up in it. When was it that you first started to have doubts? And the first answer doesn't really surprise me. Said 3% of those said, I don't really know. That's kind of, okay, I get that. And then the second response doesn't even really surprise me. It's 5% of them said uh, when they were in elementary school, okay? And this is where it got kind of crazy for me, because I thought this would be backwards. But 10% said they first started having doubts in college. I thought that number would be huge. I thought where most of this kind of indoctrination or condemning of the Christian faith or telling you you're a fool for believing in Jesus, I thought most of that was taking place in the minds of people on college campuses. But would it surprise you to know that of those interviewed, 82% of them said their doubts started in middle school and high school. They're asking us questions and they don't like what they're hearing. And as soon as they get the chance, they're running away from it. Now the study went even further and I, don't have this on the screen. I'll just tell you this. But they asked all of these um, people, that, these adults that they interviewed, you know, that said they went away from the faith or devout, uh, um, uh, disavowed Christianity or, or kind of left the church after they got out of high school. And they asked them like, what was it? What was it that caused you to want to leave? What was it? And they had the top 10 responses. I won't give you all of them. I'm going to give you the top three responses if that's okay. Can I do that? The top three responses. The first response was 12% of the people who responded said the church services were boring. Okay, just stay with me for a second. I I don't know if our church services are boring or not. I hope not. We try to like break stuff in the front all the time so they won't be, I don't know. But I'm going to come back to it, okay? But I, I think you're about to see why our church skews young. Okay, I get a lot of people who visit our church and they'll be like, man, your church kind of skews young. You got a lot of like high school, middle school, college age people in your church. I think we're about to see why. I could be wrong, but I'm gonna show you, okay? The second reason they gave was also 12% of the people who responded said that it was because of legalism. Just remember these words. I'll come back to them in a second, right? And then the third most common reason why people left the church as soon as they got out of high school, they said was hypocrisy. All right, so just keep those in your head for a second. Boring services, legalism, and hypocrisy, that made up about 40% of the answers of the top 10. Boring services, legalism, and hypocrisy. Now they went back and they kind of pressed all these people on the question. They said, what do you mean? What do you mean by boring services? And what they meant was not that they weren't entertaining. When they dug deeper, that's not what they were talking about. What they meant by boring services was they thought there was nothing going on in the church service that mattered in the rest of their life. There was nothing they could take home with them and do differently or make their life better or change anything about themselves. That's what they meant by boring church services. I don't know how good of a job we do, but I want you to know like, we talk about that a lot. That I try to never preach a sermon that we don't give you something at the end you can go do. You can take God's word, not just hear it, but do it too. But the second one they said was legalism. We talk about that a lot too. We're pushing back constantly on this desire that's inside of humanity for some reason. I'm, I got the exact same fault. We want to create all these rules that God didn't make just to feel better about ourself. And we got to push back on it all the time. But then this third one, hypocrisy, it wasn't what I thought they were talking about either. Legalism, when they pressed them on that one, I don't don't think I said it, but when they pressed them on that one, what they meant by legalism, most of the people who responded was, there were a bunch of rules that they couldn't show me anywhere in the Bible they said was the rule book. That was what they meant by legalism. There was a bunch of rules that they wanted me to follow that nobody could explain to me why. That was their legalism. And then the third one I said was hypocrisy, right? And what they meant by hypocrisy is not necessarily what you think. It's not what I would have thought. It's not that they said there was a bunch of people in the church that pretended to be super righteous and religious, and then they went out and lived like the devil all week. That's not what they meant. That's what I would have thought they meant. What they meant was, in fact, I wrote down exactly what it said from the study. Let me read you the paragraph they put with this one. You ready? This is kind of what they concluded on this one. The bulk of these people were saying this. We grew up in a church and were told the Bible is the word of God, that we should trust it and live by it because it's true. Then at some point, a parent or a Christian leader told us that we don't really need to believe certain parts of this book, whether with their words or with their actions. They communicated that it was okay to incorporate some of the world's views into the Bible so it'll all make more sense as long as we believe in Jesus, the rest doesn't really matter. Hmm. Here's one kid that feels just like that. Listen to this guy. ...of how I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So, as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So, I became an atheist. That's it. That makes sense, right? You know what the difference was in that kid? You can find thousands of videos on YouTube like that kid. You know what the difference was? When he went to school, the biology teacher was sure that evolution was true, and we came from stardust. But When he asked his mom and dad, when he asked his pastor, when he asked his Sunday school teacher, they gave him some cookie-cutter answer. I'm not really sure how that all works out, but you just need to trust Jesus, and it'll all work out. See, they're asking us questions, but our answers are hypocrisy to them. You think, don't we? I don't get it, David. I don't get it. Don't we all have access to the exact same facts and information and evidence? Don't the, the evolutionists and the creationists, the atheist and the Christian, don't they all have access to the exact same information, exact same evidence? Yes, they do. I'm going to tell you why those two groups come to completely opposite and different results when they look at the exact same evidence. You want, can I tell you why? Let me tell it to you in one word. Okay, Then I'll read it to you from God's word, and then we'll talk about it for just a minute. Here's the word. You ready? Worldview. No matter how staunchly somebody would like to convince you that they're non-biased, that they're completely objective, everybody brings subjectivity to their analysis of events, facts, data, information. And your worldview changes everything you see when you look at this stuff. The atheists out there in the world would like you to believe that Christians are lunatics and they see everything subjectively because of blind faith. But they see everything objectively. But that's not true. Everybody brings their own subjective opinions and views and worldview to the stage when they're evaluating information. No matter how hard you try to be objective, you're doing that. Worldviews. Let me read it to you in Romans chapter 1. See if you can see this concept in here. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. I need you to see that. That sinful, wicked people, people who don't love Jesus, people who aren't following Jesus, they suppress truth. This is what's going on in the world. This is why a non-Christian and a Christian can hear the same information and one of them can draw closer to the Lord, and one of them can hate him more. This is why. Because you're suppressing the truth. Let me keep reading for you. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Now, how has he made the truth obvious to them? Listen. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. What's he saying? He's saying everybody can see the Ferris wheel in the middle of the room. But one person's worldview causes them to look at that and say, somebody must have made that. And somebody else's worldview causes them to look at that and say, a star must have exploded and put that there. And and whatever side you're on, you think the other side sounds like fools. Because we're believing what the Bible tells us because we think it's God's words. Based on some evidence, I'd love to have that conversation with you, why I believe the Bible. But the other side believes what they think because they're convinced there is no God. And so all the evidence is looked at through that lens. Let me keep reading for you. Verse 25. They trade the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. And this has been happening since the beginning of time. Every totem pole, every Buddha statue, Every beautiful girl, everything people decide to worship instead of God. They decide to worship the stuff God made, the sun God and the mountain and the squirrel spirits and everything I can think of to give credit to the creation instead of the creator. It's been happening since day one. It hasn't stopped and it's still going on. And now in America, we don't worship squirrels and totem poles and Buddha statues. No, we worship the man's intellect. And your degree makes you God. Your scientific method makes you right. You're the God now. You get to call the shots. You get to decide who created what and where stuff came from. Do you see it? Do you see it? Oh, that's just one nutty professor. They don't all believe that. No, they probably don't all believe that. Can I let you listen to a clip from one more? a guy that goes around the country, an astrophysicist that goes around the country speaking and teaching on college campuses, this is what he thinks of you. Our ancestors worshiped the sun. They were far from foolish. It makes good sense to revere the sun and stars because we are their children. The silicon in the rocks, the oxygen in the air, the carbon in our DNA, the iron in our skyscrapers, The silver in our jewelry were all made in stars billions of years ago. Our planet, our society, and we ourselves are stardust. We're stardust. We're stardust. The stars are our parents. Did you hear him say that? We're the star's children. Not God. God's not your father. The stars are. Our, Our ancestors worshiped the sun. They weren't so dumb. They had it right on. Did you hear that in there? This is normal. This is normal. And for far too long, our responses to all of our kids has been, I don't really know a whole lot about that stuff. Just trust Jesus. Don't worry about the rest. And as soon as they get out of the house, they're leaving they think we're nothing but hypocrites. And we're following some dead ancient text instead of a living God. Now listen, I just want to, if you're here and you're kind of the skeptic or you're the doubter, or you're not sure, I just want to give you four problems real quick, okay? I don't have time to dig in these. We're going to dig into them throughout the next four weeks. I hope you'll come back. But I just want to give you four problems. If you try to take This billions and billions of years of evolution and stardust and all this stuff, and you try to cram it into the Bible to make it all work together. I wanna just give you four, there's more than that, but I just wanna give you four problems I could think of this week with that approach to life. And you see if these are true or not. Here's the first one, you ready? The problem of origins. The problem of origins the levels of Buddhism, the nature of reincarnation in Hinduism, the random chance of atheism or agnosticism, the world's scientific theories of evolution, none of them can give you a logical answer to the problem of origin. Trace it all back and where did it start? It had to start somewhere, but none of them have an adequate logical explanation for actual origin. Yes, stuff banged. Yes, stuff magically blew up and stardust became humans. Primordial soup and we crawled out of it and all that. But where did it all come from? And they don't have an answer for that. It's just a great unknown. And, and if you uh, listen to people like Bill Nye, he'll say things like, uh, I heard him say one time like, well, we just don't know yet. But science one day will figure out where the origins were, where, we all, where the stardust came from, all the matter came from. The problem of origins. So if you're ever talking to somebody that believes God's word is a fairy, fantasy, a fairy tale, and that we just came from stars, um, you can always ask them that. Just be like, where did the stars come from? Well, they came from like a, a, a spatial drift. Well, where did the spatial drift come from? Well, it came from like cosmic gases. Well, where did the cosmic gases come from? Well, they came from like molecules. Well, where did the molecules come from? There had to be a start. God is the only one who provides an origin because he says, In the beginning. You got it? In the beginning. Problem number two the problem of transcendence. The problem of transcendence. Things like absolutism, eternality, a soul, conscience, love, forgiveness. These things make no sense if it's all just natural selection. If we're just descendants of apes and monkeys. It makes no evolutionary sense why we would have developed love. Show me the molecule that makes love. Why would man care about eternity? If we're just evolution, if we're just animals, why would we sit around and wonder what's going to happen after we die? Why would we care how we treat other people? Why would we even have a conscience? A conscience serves no good purpose in natural selection. Natural selection, we'd be better off to be brutal, hate-filled, selfish creatures. Why? Why care about not offending other people or treating other people with kindness? Why are there absolute laws in what the scientists out there would call nature? Why, if it's all just random chance, why would there be these absolute laws that are never broken? It doesn't make any sense. There is no answer for eternity. Is there anybody in the room that doesn't have eternity in their heart? That doesn't at some point in their life think about like, I wonder what's going to happen when I die. What will I be leaving behind? What's next after this? God explained it. He said, I have placed eternity in the human heart so that you'll crave and desire after him. How about problem number three, the problem of death? The problem of death. Oh, I said that like I was on Trolls. Death, death. (laughs) But uh, the problem of death, right? All these other theories... Whatever they are, the gap theory, the day-age theory, atheistic evolution, all these other theories of origins, theories of creation, none of them can make an account for death. Anytime you cram billions of years before the account in God's Word, you're left with this immutable problem. If I'm trying to make God's Word match with the world's science, what do I do with all the death that took place before Adam and Eve sinned? You can look it up sometime. Romans 5.12, I think it is. Romans 5.12 says that sin entered the world through Adam and death came as a result of sin. So how could there be all this death before sin? You either have to believe the world's religion or believe God's because they don't work together. The problem of death. You You won't meet a Christian who believes in one of these theories, cosmic temple theory, framework hypothesis. I kind of jotted them all down in my notes. But they can explain to you how death entered the world billions of years ago before sin. When God says, or is that just another piece of God's word that's a lie we can't believe? You see how it just erodes and erodes and erodes? How about problem number four? The problem of authority. If God is not the creator and I'm just random chance, then I should be free to do whatever I want my own authority. I was slipping through TV channels this week and I stumbled upon um, this uh, congressional hearing. I know it's, it's like not interesting. I get it. It wasn't really that interesting to me, but the the banner across the bottom caught my attention. It was a congressional hearing about the the dangers of AI. Have you guys all been hearing this stuff about like artificial intelligence? And so Congress had like these tech CEOs come in to testify about AI and the advancements and stuff like that to try and decide if they needed to pass some laws to protect society against AI. And they had this uh, one CEO sitting there. His name was Samuel Altman. He's the uh, CEO of one of these AI companies. I can't remember what it's called now, but he was sitting there and one of the congressmen asked him, he's like, what, what, what kind of control do you think you'll have over the AI you're creating? And, and what kind of control do you think you should have? Or do you think we need to pass laws? He asked him all this stuff. And man, this guy didn't love Jesus, wasn't trying to preach the gospel, but his answer was so revealing About how the world thinks. Let me read you the quote. I wrote it down on my phone, jotted it down on my phone after he said it. This is what he said We think that creators deserve control over what their creation does. And I couldn't agree more. And that's exactly why the world has to attack God as the creator, because they can't have him telling them what to do. It's a problem of authority. And you can't say God's in charge, but I'm gonna decide which pieces of what he says I believe and don't believe. And I'm gonna decide which pieces I'll follow and won't follow. It doesn't work that way. There are no neutral parties with Jesus. You're either on his side or against him. He said that himself in Matthew 12, 30. You're either with me or you're against me. Now I wanna go back real quick. Addison, I I messed that up for you. Can you catch up with me? I want to read you the rest of this creation account we're gonna look at today. And I just want the beauty of it to wash over you. All these things we just talked about, let me read it for you, starting back in verse 3. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And they separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens and the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants their trees of the same, and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good and evening passed and morning came marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights. The larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and evening passed And morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good and Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Day six. Can you see it in your mind's eye, what it would have been like? It's hard to even imagine. Stuff popping up out of nowhere, seas splitting, land coming up, stars being placed in the sky, animals just appearing out of thin air. One guy I was reading about this week said, it's amazing to think about all the things God created, but it's almost even more amazing to think about what he didn't create. If you think about how difficult it is to create something, think about how hard it would be to create nothing. But God also made the nothing. He separated the stuff with nothing. He made space and sky. You know how hard it would be to get everything out of a space? And with his words, God separated it all and made space and sky and nothing too. It's amazing this is God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 12, I don't know if you have that or not, Addison, but he said, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Okay, listen, I just want to wrap up today by giving you three easy things you can do to go out of here and reclaim some of God's word in your life. Can I do that? Maybe, maybe some of what the world says is true and God doesn't say anything about. Maybe it's kind of crept into your thinking. And I just want to give you three easy things you could do to kind of reclaim some of God's truth. You ready? Here's the first one. Super simple. You ready? Stop telling all the people in your life that these are Bible stories. Because story sounds like fiction. Start telling them that these are biblical truths or Bible accounts. Use a different word than stories when you're telling your kids about the flood or Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel or Daniel and the lion's dead. Tell them it's truth from God's word instead of Bible stories because it sounds like it's fake. That's simple, right? How about number two? Get some resources. I brought just a couple. You can have these for free if you want. If you want a book to read with your kids, this one's called The Case for a Creator. It's written by a guy who was an atheist, started to investigate Christianity when his wife became a Christian, hoping to disprove it and convince her to stop going to church. Instead, he became a Christian and started writing books with all the evidence and proof for why Jesus is who he claimed to be. This one's for kids. He writes an adult version too, but I don't have any of those. So you can buy that on Amazon if you want or CBD. But if you want one of the kids' one, you can have one of these. Just read it with your kids like a page a day. Evidence or case for a creator. Here's a documentary we just bought. We watched it. My kids hated it. It's a little old for them. I made them watch it anyhow. But uh, if you want to borrow one of these, you can. I got two of them out to two college students right now. But they're about the same like level as my kids, so they don't like them either. But uh, but if you want to watch, it's like an hour and a half documentary on creation and uh, how it came to be. I got like I don't know four or five different DVDs of it. So if you wanted to borrow one, you could pick up a book. Pick up some resources. We live in the most resource time in all of history. There's more research and evidence and products out there to teach you about God's creative work than ever before in history. We're just too lazy to pick it up. So just pick up a resource. You can take one of mine for free. I don't care, but I just want you to learn what God says is true. Here's the third piece of practical advice I want to give you today. We're taking a trip in a month to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. You can come with us. You can still get the group rate. I had three or four different people tell me like, we can't afford to go. I get it. It's expensive. I got it. Maybe you're going to choose a book instead. But it's time we start investing in our kids and not wondering why they disappear when they're 19. It's just time we start pouring into them with better answers than like, I don't know, just trust Jesus we got to walk away from being a bumper sticker and really dive into our faith. So if you want to sign up to go to that, there's some little sheets up here that have the prices on them. You can grab one of those after church. They told me we can still get the group rate. So if you want to jump in, jump in. Two days, one night up in northern Kentucky. We're going to spend some time learning about creation science. You can come with us. Kids 10 and under are free. So you just have to pay for the adults if you've got little kids. See, there's no neutral with Jesus. Either what he says is true or it's not. You either believe it or you don't. And the world has concocted all these theories, all this science, all this education, all these textbooks based on an atheistic worldview. And the real purpose is not science. The real purpose is to destroy everything good and true and beautiful that God claims that's it. They're never going to say it like that. They're just going to tell you to be thankful to the stars instead of Jesus. They're just going to tell you you're a child of stars, not of God. They're just going to work it in there a little after a little until you see it their way. And if you don't, they're going to call you a fool. But I'd rather be a fool and just believe what's written in God's word than try to cram something else into it. They've suppressed the truth and they can't even see it. They're refusing to worship the creator. Instead, they're worshiping the creation. But God's glory is here for you to see. For this week and the next four, we're going to put it on display as best we can. And I hope you'll see it. I hope you'll have ears to hear it and eyes to see it. And you'll embrace God as the creator. God's glory in all of his glory, with all of his grace and truth. And if I could just wrap up with one more thing maybe 15 or 16 years ago. It's a long time ago, but it's when I first became friends with Kenny. We were going to a different church at that time and stumbled upon these DVDs. They were from Passion. Some of you are familiar with the worship band Passion. I know they were around even back then. But uh, they were traveling around the country doing worship concerts, and they took the pastor from their home church, Louis Giglio, with them, and he would preach a little kind of sermonette. That's like a mini sermon, Ope, at the end of the worship set. And I got all these on DVD, and I watched them all. They were excellent. And I can't remember which one this was from. I think it was from the the How Great Is Our God tour, but I can't remember for sure. But uh, he put this picture up. It's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. Put it up on the screen. I'm going to show it to you. And it's taken from the Hubble Space Telescope. You can download these pictures. I just grabbed them both. I'm going to show you two pictures. I grabbed them both off NASA's website last night at like 2am. So, but you can just download them if you want to check them. Just go to NASA's website. If you just search in their little search block for a Whirlpool Galaxy, you'll see pictures just like this one that pop up. 31 million light years away from Earth. The Hubble Space Telescope grabbed this shot of this spherical looking galaxy and they named it the Whirlpool. Fittingly, the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's beautiful, right? And now when I see that, I see beauty and I see God's goodness and I see God's truth. But but I don't hate the people on the other side who see that and just see stardust. I just recognize that they have a different worldview than me. And my worldview allows me to see the grace of Jesus everywhere and to see his brilliance and his magnificence and his beauty all over the universe. And when I see a flower or a deer or a mountain, when I see something sitting in the middle of the gym, I don't conclude it just happened. My worldview has convinced me that God has made it all. And so I give him glory for it. I give him credit for it. I honor him for his power and his greatness. And you might not see what I see when you look at this, but I want to show you one more shot. They took the Hubble and they zoomed in the center of the Whirlpool Galaxy, 31 million light years from Earth. And they snapped a picture, sent it back to us of what they named the X structure. And this is what's in the center of that universe. Now, I'm not even gonna to try to convince you that that's a cross. You can see whatever you wanna see. I'm just telling you that my worldview allows me to see the beauty and the goodness and the truth of God everywhere I look. And I hope by the end of this series, you'll get to see the same thing. I hope that it will just floor you and leave you in awe, that you will just celebrate how powerful and great he is, that you would just think of him as the maker, because if he's the maker, then he deserves to be the master. And if he's not the maker, then why would you ever follow him as the master? Don't let the world steal this worldview from you. Don't let them steal it from your kids. Invest, dig in, Look with your eyes and open your ears. The goodness of God, the beauty of God is all over our universe, even 31 million light years away. The grace of God is calling out to you. He loves you and made all of this for you to see so that you would know he was real. It's right in front of you. It's all over our world, our universe. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the variety in your word. Thank you that you've given us such a big picture of your plan and how it works together from start to finish and how you've imprinted your word, your commands, your son on everything we see around us and everything we talk about and everything we do. God, would you just open all of our eyes and ears to help us understand and receive the truth over the next four weeks? And would you just wow us with your glory? The heavens truly declare your glory and the earth displays your mighty hand. Help us to see it, God, to not take it for granted. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.